Turn to Psalm chapter 23 if you have one of your devices. You can thumb there uh, in your iPhone or your iPad. Or you can look on the screen. Uh, Psalm chapter 23 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Psalm chapter 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. She was an elderly woman sitting on the steps inside of an Alabama courthouse. She was sitting there and this woman first began coming to this courthouse for the trial of two teenage boys who killed her teenage grandson. True story. She came to this trial and she sat through the entire trial while these two teens were eventually convicted. They were found guilty and they were sentenced to spend the rest of their lives in prison for killing her teenage grandson. She said in her own words that she she thought it would make her feel better. But she found out really quickly that it didn't. She remembered sitting day after day in this courthouse. She remembered sitting there and she remembered the pain she felt after the details were unveiled of the murder. She, she remembered how her heart was broken. She remembered the tears coming down her face. And she said these words, I, sometimes I just wish I just had somebody to lean on. I just wish I had somebody to lean on. She called herself a self-proclaimed stone catcher. She would begin over and over, week after week, month after month, coming back to this same courthouse because she knew there would be people there who felt the same way she did months ago. So she would return to this same courthouse where the men who were convicted of murdering her teenage grandson were there. So she would come back. And she, get this, would literally look for people who were broken. And her only task for going, her only mission for going, was to literally find the people who were like her previously. So she would just sit into the courtrooms and she would listen. And initially she began going for the families of victims, but all of a sudden she realized that everybody was broken. And she found herself going next to those family members, even of the convicts, ones who were being convicted of large amounts of time. She found herself sitting next to them even as they weeped. She just wanted to be, get this, a shoulder to lean on. She wanted to be 
a comforter. She wanted to be a stone catcher. She got this name from John chapter 8, the story of the adulterous woman, when men are surrounding this adulterous woman who is caught in her sin. They've got stones in hand preparing to murder her. Jesus says to them, He that is without sin, you cast the first stone. And all of the men drop their stones in the presence of this adulterous woman and Jesus. Jesus became a stone catcher in that moment. He was the one who would block the stones from murdering this woman. And in her darkest hour, Jesus was there to block those stones. And here is this woman. She's saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a stone catcher like Jesus was. I want to go into this courtroom and I want to find people in their darkest hour. And I just want to be a shoulder for them to lean on. So month after month, she just went back just for that purpose. She didn't even know anybody. She just wanted to be a shoulder to cry on. She wanted to be, get this, a comforter. She wanted to be an encourager. She, she, she wanted somebody to be able to lay their head on her shoulder even though they didn't know her. She wanted to be, get this, a comforter. And when we come to our text this morning, when we come to Psalm 23, that's exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see a big God who is a comforter beyond measure, who goes out of His way to to be a shoulder to lean on. We're going to see a comforter this morning. He's a comforter to the weary. He's a comforter to those who have heavy burdens. He's a comforter to those who are downtrodden. He's a comforter to the broken, just like this elderly woman. The God of Psalm 23 is a comforter. And He brings comfort. The God of Psalm 23 says, Grandmother, you aren't the only one. Here I am. I want us to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see We'll see comfort in God's protection. We'll see comfort in God's provision. But we'll also see comfort in God's future hope. But before we go to work, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are indeed a comforter. Thank you that you are an encourager. Thank you that you are hope for the hopeless. Thank you that you lift the head of the heavy burden. So would you be that for us this morning? Would you open our eyes and open our ears to all that you would do and say this morning? Father, we, we just don't need to hear the words of a mere man. Would you move me aside? We need a word from you. So speak to us. And I know your people this morning, we need a, a holy, divine encounter. So meet with us. Father, we trust that you will have your way this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. One of the things I love about the Psalms is that they point us to the character of God in a big way. And it's healthy for us to pause regularly and to take in heavy doses, to revisit the Psalms over and over again, to, re- to be reminded of these sweet songs of praise. 
The Psalms help us to better understand worship. They help us to better understand repentance. They help us to better understand praise. And they even help us to understand the heart of God. The Psalms do. And mainly I love the Psalms because it affirms to us that the same God that is revealed in Christ is the same God that's in the Old Testament. The same God, the Psalms would say, that we see in Jesus in the New Testament is that same faithful and righteous and loving God, even in the Psalms. And it's very apparent when you look at the Psalms. The Psalms are significant moments for people, for the people of God in song. They're, they're significant moments. The Psalms teach us of God's grace for us and God's available mercy for us. I remember back in my grandmama's old church, uh, you'd walk up these steep steps to get into this church. And this church would have uh, the old school, school pews. And it had red carpet and wood paneling everywhere. This thing was old school. But you walk in this small church, there's probably about 75, 85 people there. You know, the, the pastor's got on this exotic suit, you know. And uh, um, the service would get started. Praise and worship would last for an hour. Um, some of y'all are like, uh, there's no way I would go to a church like that. Praise and worship would last for an hour. But then there was a portion in the service where there, there was testimony time. And, and this was just a regular thing. Everybody knew about testimony time. But, but, but ever so often, uh, a, a young woman or an elderly woman or somebody would stand up and they wouldn't say a word. The first thing that would come out of their mouth would be a song. And their testimony wasn't just in words, but their testimony was a song. And they'd sing about how they got over, or they'd sing about how God has helped them to get through. It, their testimony was it, was, a, it was a song of praise. It was a song of worship. And at the very end, before they sit down, they say, now y'all pray my strength in the Lord, you know. And it was beautiful to me. When I think about how beautiful that was, it was their psalm. Their song of praise, their song of deliverance, their song of how they got through, it was their testimony in song. It was a song. That's what the Psalms are. They are significant moments in the time of God's people in song. The Psalms teach us tremendously. The Psalms are stories in song. Yet, if we're going to understand Psalm 23, we've got to see that there's comfort in God's protection. Look at this in verse 1. David begins the psalm by saying this, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The idea of a shepherd is one of care, one of compassion, one of protection. A shepherd is willing to protect the sheep at all costs. A shepherd is willing to go after the sheep when nobody else will. A shepherd will protect the sheep from wolves and from thieves. 
a shepherd will, will get messy and the shepherd is preparing himself to get dirty. A shepherd is up all night looking after the sheep just to protect him. And it's no accident that David would begin Psalm 23 by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. What David is saying is, The Lord is my protector. The Lord watches over me when I can't even watch over myself. He, he keeps me and He protects me. The Lord is my shepherd. David knew the do- job of a shepherd extremely well because this was his trade. So he understood that when the sheep would mosey on off away from the pack, he'd have to pursue the sheep and go after the sheep. David understood in saying the Lord is my shepherd is that sometimes he'd have to bend down and get muddy and he'd have to pick the sheep up when the sheep couldn't get himself unstuck and carry the sheep back to the pack. He knew that it was the job of the shepherd to pursue the sheep. And so when David says the Lord is my shepherd, he's speaking of protection. He's speaking of care. He's speaking of compassion. The shepherd knows that there are wolves out there. But the shepherd is willing to risk it all for the sheep. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I love this because David clearly puts the responsibility on God to be the shepherd and not himself. The responsibility is on God. David doesn't say, I am my own shepherd. That would be weird, wouldn't it? David doesn't say, I, I make my own way. I carve my own path. I, I do this thing all by myself. No, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is in control. The Lord has the authority. The Lord has the power. The Lord has the mighty hand. He puts the responsibility on God to be the protector and not himself. See, there are times in our lives that We're just straying off like sheep. And get this, we don't even want to be protected. But yet God is our shepherd. He knows what's best for us. He knows how to keep us even when we don't want to be kept. David acknowledges that God is greater. But it's an also, this is also an acknowledgement of his own brokenness. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd... He understands that he is a broken, wretched man. David understands that there is nothing good in him, as Romans 3 would point to. He understands that there's nothing righteous in and of himself. He's declaring to the world in Psalm 23 that he is a broken man. That he is a fallen man. Because he needs one to be a shepherd. He's broken. He's in need. That's why he needs a shepherd. David knows that he is extremely dependent. David is making an incredible declaration that he cannot exist apart from the shepherd. He's saying to to all of us this morning that there is no him, that he would be devoured by wolves and thieves without the shepherd, that there is no him without the shepherd. 
dependent. Like a child who needs to be fed and loved and cared for. David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I need Him. I need Him. Oh, I need Him. Every hour, I need Him. This is David's declaration here. David says that he doesn't have it all together. And I want to tell you this morning that that is a word for some of us. For so many of us, especially in the Bible Belt, we assume, we walk into a setting like this and we put on our best outfit and we we come in and we assume that we have to have it all together so nobody will be able to see our own brokenness. And what David declares here is, yes, I'm broken. Yes, I'm needy. Yes, I'm dependent. So much so that I need one to shepherd me. I need one to protect me. I need one to keep me. David knows his own brokenness. So his message to us this morning is that you and I don't have to act as if we have it all together. We can act in the same way David does, as dependent, broken, needy people. David is modeling this for us. He says, the Lord is my protector. Jesus makes the same point David is making in Psalm 23, in John chapter 10, verse 11, when he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, get this, lays down his life for the sheep. If that ain't protection, I don't know what is. The good shepherd lays down his life. The good shepherd is willing to risk it all. And not only is he willing to risk it all, but he gives it all. The good shepherd literally lays down his life for the sheep because he cares that much. And that's what David is pointing to. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He cares. He protects. He is a shield about me. He cares. When David says in verse 4, look at this with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this even more shows us our need for the shepherd. David is saying this, trouble will come, yet we have a protector. And I know that, that, I know that is hard, that's a tough pill to swallow. Trouble will come. David says, even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I won't fear any evil. He's saying trouble is inevitable. 1 Peter 4, 12-13 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. The Apostle Peter and David will say together that suffering will come. Hardship, trial, will come. The need for a protector will come. And I wish as a pastor, I wish I could just stand up here and I honestly I wish I could lie to you. I wish I could tell you that that when you come to saving faith in Jesus, you have nothing else to worry about. I wish I can tell you that when you come to saving faith in Jesus, everything will go right in life. You will get everything you want. You will get your best life now. And I can't tell you that. 
Because what the Word of God says to us is that trouble will come. But I I love what David does. He does not stop at the inevitable trouble. He says, I will not fear because you are with me. He's present even in those valleys. Even in the shadows of the valleys of death, He is present with us. But you and I have to work and operate in the frame of mind in which we understand that trouble is inevitable. It's coming. It's coming into our families. It's coming into our marriages. It's coming in how we raise our children. It's coming in trying to be consistent in singleness. It's coming in looking for... It's coming! David says, I won't fear. I have a shepherd who is a protector, who watches over me. Even when I'm suffering and going through hardship... He is with me because trouble won't last always. He's with me. It's so funny. Um, at, at our uh, in our, at our wedding uh, rehearsal, uh, we got married a little bit ago, and at our wedding rehearsal, you know, you're practicing all of this stuff, and uh, my wife, uh, you know, her her dad is practicing walking her down the aisle, right? Um, so I'm standing there, you know, doing my thing, cracking jokes with the fellas. And then the time comes when the pastor says, who gives this woman uh, to be married to this man? Crickets, y'all. Crickets. He didn't say a word on purpose. He was, we're at the rehearsal and he's like, I don't know who he's talking to, but I ain't giving her to nobody. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, you know, is he going to say something? And then we rehearse it again. We go through it a second time. And the second time, you know, he walks her down, get to the altar. Who gives this woman to marry this man? Again, he, he says nothing and he begins like grabbing her and pulling her away from the altar. I'm like, all right, bro. Like, all right, man. Come on. But here he is being a protective dad. It's, it's his last daughter he's having a handoff. It's his baby. He's, ha- he's being protective. And he and I, we're cool. You know, we see eye to eye. We're good. But he's a protective dad. And what we see in Psalm 23 is this protective dad who loves his children and who who will hoard them and watch over them and keep them even when they don't want to be kept. He's that kind of father who is walking us down the aisle and he just wants to hold on to us a little bit longer. He watches over us and he protects us. And we can find comfort in the God who protects us. That even though we will find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death and we know that that is inevitable, He still will be ever-present. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He is there with us and in that trouble. Even though we may feel like life is ending at times, He's there with us to protect us because He's our loving Father. He's Abba Father. 
He's our dad who loves us. Secondly, we, we've, we've got to see the comfort in God's provision. We've got to see the comfort in God's provision. Look at verse 5 with me. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Get this. My cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The psalmist has moved from talking about God to talking to God. This thing has become personal to him. Before he was saying, he has, he has. And now he's saying, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. It's become personal to him. And what David says here is, all that I need, God, you provide. You lay out this table. You prepare a table before me. And even with my enemies right there, you still prepare this table for me. And God, you've, you've given an abundance because my cup overflows. I have more than I actually need. This is the job of the shepherd. The shepherd provides. And I want to tell you that Here is David likening himself to a sheep. And I want to let you know this morning that I can tell you that he didn't always feel like his cup overflowed. And that may be you here this morning. I hear what Psalm 23 says, but I hear what David says about his cup overflowing, but I don't feel like my cup is overflowing. I, I don't feel like I have an abundance and more than I need. I want to tell you this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, you have much more than what you need and even much more than what you deserve. You have it. Even in that valley of the shadow of death, David can say my cup overflows because he understands what he has in God is more than he ever deserves and much more than what he needs. His cup overflows. He has an abundance even with his enemies right there. Matthew 6, 25-26 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than the birds who do not sow nor reap? Are you not more valuable than those birds that God provides for them? Don't you believe that God will provide for you? And how easily, we we have such a short-term memory when it comes to God. Because He has brought us to the point in which we are even right now. And so often we forget how He has moved in our lives. We forget how He 
provided for us. We we forget how He allowed us to get pregnant when we couldn't have a child. And we, we, we forget how He reconciled that relationship. We forget how we should have been dead or in prison and how He set us free from the bondage of our own sin. We so easily forget. We forget how we were addicted and in despair. How He freed us. From the yoke of sin, we so easily forget. And what we see here in Matthew chapter 6 is the same message in Psalm chapter 23. That God is the one who cares so much. He loves so deep and so hard that He provides for us. And God says to us, how dare you worry? How dare you worry about how much money you have in the bank even though the bills are piling up. How dare you worry? Because I'm a God who provides. I'm Jehovah Jireh. There is not one like me. I am a God who provides for you. I provide for the birds of the air. (laughs) What in the world would make you think I wouldn't provide for you? Psalm 23 presents this God who is a provider. I remember walking into this church one time, this massive church uh, in St. Louis, and um, it was my first time ever going there. And I walked into this church, I sat down, and I've always been intrigued by how churches are put together and who leads and what happens. I know, that's weird. That's just me. But I've been intrigued by that kind of stuff. So I I went to this church. I've been invited by a friend. And I sit into this church and, you know, worship is happening. Things are going. And then they began to, to, to do these congregational chants during worship. And the message is on the loud screen, and eventually the message is, is off the screen, and people still know it. it kind of goes like this. Money come to me now in the name of Jesus. Money come to the ministry now in the name of Jesus. True story. Money, 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 money come. To me, now, in the name of Jesus. Money come to the ministry, now, in the name of Jesus. Hundreds of people are proclaiming this together. This word of faith ministry. I did not know what I was walking into. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking around. Like money. I'm looking around like, what in the world is going on? What, what are these people saying? Like, and it was normal. Like, folks are cheering and lifting up their hands. And, I mean, it, it, was, it was a big deal. And I'm thinking to myself, these people are, in their minds, they're thinking this is how God will provide for them. In their minds, they're thinking, unless... I confess with my mouth, God will not give me anything. I have to profess it. And that's how I will get my provision. By declaration with my mouth. David would say, no, no, no. No way, no how. No way, no how that... This declaration, you speaking things into existence, only God can do that. 
David would say, no, thank you. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, no, thank you. Because the God that I love and the God that I serve, He is one who provides for those that He loves. He's a provider. That's what He does. And He loves those. How much more do you think He will provide for us if He provides for the birds of the air? There's no declaration in the world, no speaking with your mouth that will exceed God's giving. He is a provider. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that all that you need is in Him? Are you walking as if you believe that the provision that God offers is for you? Do you believe it this morning? And you may have walked into this place and and things are piling up and you don't know how it's going to work out. God is a provider. Let Psalm 23 be rest for the weary. Comfort for the broken. And you don't know how ends will meet. That's the exact place where God can show up and only He will get the glory. Because He's a provider. He's a way maker. He's a provider. Lastly, We've got to see the comfort in God's future hope. David ends the psalm this way in verse 6. Look at this with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I love this part. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. David talks about how God would will protect. And he talks about the God he knows who will provide. But then he talks about this goodness and this hased, this mercy. He talks about this mercy that is a loyal, unfailing mercy. That this mercy will, will follow him. This mercy is coming after him. This, this mercy is unfailing and it's a loyal kind of love. It's a grace that he does not, he do, he does not deserve it. And he's telling us about this, this mercy. David says, this mercy is something that you and I have to look forward to because God has this kind of unfailing, loyal love and it's his mercy. And we have this to, to look forward to. Romans eight thirty eight through 29 says this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That ought to be hope for us this morning. Because there is nothing we go through that can separate us from the love of Christ if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. We have a future hope in Him because nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
So you and I can trust that one day, someday, God will bring to fruition all that He has promised because nothing can separate us from the love of God. So what David is pointing to is not just the mercy for here and now, but he's pointing to this mercy that will last forever and ever and ever for all eternity, for an entire lifetime. We, we have that to look forward to. David is pointing to this future hope in which we will have the privilege of dwelling, of resting, of abiding in the house of the Lord forever. Is that something that you think about? Because so often in the church, we, we, we are this right now, this here and now kind of culture. We're this here and now kind of church. And if God does not move here and now, I will no longer trust Him. I will no longer serve Him. And what David is pointing to is this future hope in which what we have to hold on to now is even if everything doesn't go right in my life, even if I find myself in some valleys, I have this house that I can look forward to. That I will be able to dwell in forever and ever worshiping my Savior. Where there will be no more sickness. Where there will be no more death. Where He will wipe away every tear from our eye. And you and I have that hope to look forward to this morning. We do. We do. And we can be excited about that. And we don't have to completely hold on to the here and now because David is pointing us in a direction of in which we can look forward to this house in which we'll be able to dwell forever and ever. This house reminds me of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Dr. King, Dr. King talks about all of his hopes and his dreams in his speech. He, he hopes for one day that his children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but that they would be judged by the content of their character. He, he has hopes. And what Dr. King does is so prophetically, he, he looks ahead and, and he hopes for what is to come. And he's begging God for what is to come. And I want to tell you this morning that God has laid out what is to come. He's laid out for us a new heaven and a new earth in which there will be no heartbreak. There will be no cancer. There will be no divorce. There, in which you and I have to look forward to this. And so right now we struggle, we, we cry, and we, we mourn, but it's only for a little time. Because in the morning comes newness. In which David points us to this new heaven, this new earth, in which you and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want to tell you this morning, what we have the privilege of in the here and now, we have the privilege of practicing. We have the privilege of practicing. You know, uh, when I was in school, I would, you know, go to the free throw line and, and I'd put my one foot up. I had this mental process and I'd 
roll the ball three times, I dribble on my right hand side two times, and I let my free throw go. And I only hit like 60% of the time, but um, I practiced it. And what you and I have to, to do in the here and now is we practice dwelling in the house of the Lord. How are you dwelling? How are you dwelling? David points us to protection. He points us to God's provision and he points us to God's future hope in which we have great things to look forward to. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Thank you that you are a comforter for us. And Father, we thank you that your provision, your protection, and your future hope comforts us. And I pray, God, that that would be true of us, that the reminders of Psalm 23 would reign in our hearts and our lives this week. Lord, I pray that we would cling to them. When we have the tendency to forget, would you remind us by your Spirit of these things? And help us, God, even though things will not always go our way, would you help us to abide, to practice dwelling in your secret place? That we may look forward to dwelling in your house forever and ever and ever. Remind us, God, that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And Lord, may we find comfort in that this morning. And now, God, we pray that you bless these tithes and these offerings that we're about to receive. Father, we pray that you would move on the hearts of your people to be generous. That kingdom business, that kingdom work would go forward through this local church. I pray, God, that you would help us to raise up leaders who are passionate about gospel, disciple-making, multi-ethnic ministry. I pray, God, that you would help us to hold the ropes for church planters who are passionate about gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, disciple-making ministry. And I pray, God, that you would allow our cups to overflow. That we may trust you with all that you give to us. And that we would give you all the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen.